This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by HQ Trivia. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. It's 7 p.m. Or maybe it's 6 p.m. And Scott's on your phone. And he wants to ask you some questions. And maybe, if you're lucky, give you a little bit of money. HQ Trivia. Welcome to yet another Monday and yet another episode of your favorite podcast and mine, Ear Buddies. Now, folks, I know we've all gotten sick of just hearing my little voice, Maddie's little voice on the mic these past few times. Um, Tim is not with us today, but... Dare I say we have something, well, not better, different, uh, and very special. We have a special guest, our friend and uh, longtime fan of the pod, Mason Sisk, is here today to chat with us, chat with me, I guess, and by extension, you, about supergroups. Mason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. You know, as a as a member of the Ear Buddies Army, I feel like I want a sweepstakes or something. I'm so so glad to be here. Oh, of course. Yeah, this is a lot like, you know, when uh, you're at a, a Foo Fighters concert and you hold up a sign and say, Dave Grohl, let me play Everlong. And then Dave says, come on up. And you're 17 years old and you and you just kill Everlong on the drums. This is this is what this is like, I feel like. That is exactly what this is like. I was going to say the same exact thing. <laughs> and I'm sure that you will do just as good a job co-hosting this podcast as all of those teens do when they play Everlong alongside Dave Grohl and his friends. So, Mason, let's not waste any time here. This week, we're talking about supergroups. Okay, that's fun. Now, as the as the guest co-host, um, this was this was an idea that you had, which is part of, I guess, the sweepstakes uh, terms. You got to choose the topic of the episode. Tell tell us, tell the army, why uh, why are we talking about supergroups today? Well, I think that the supergroup is a really interesting. Um, you know, really fascinating idea or concept in music. And um, it's something that you can actually, I mean, I, you have, you can find examples throughout all the different genres, uh, all throughout the last, you know, essentially six decades, um, whereby, you know, you have these examples of, um, of these supergroups coming together. I thought it would be a really fascinating concept to dig into. Wow, it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into this, Mason. We love we love that sort of uh, that sort of foresight when we have our guests on here. But now, Mason, you you are I mean, you are not just like some pal, right? Like you are a 
you are a guy who knows and cares about music, so you you deserve to be on this show. Would you agree? Well, you know, coming from you, uh, you know, that's that's really uh, probably overstating it. But sure, you know, I have uh, I have been a long time uh, music fan. You know, I grew up. Uh, you know, with instruments in my life and, and music has been a huge part of my life, like so many of the Ear Buddies Army. Um, and so I, I just relish the chance to actually get to come on here and uh, talk a little bit about music with you. Fantastic. So you are certainly credentialed enough. Um, and I'm sure that the Army will thrill at the knowledge that you bring to the table. Um, of course, with any sort of guest appearance on Ear Buddies, it is... Uh, also an audition to replace Tim or me, so <laughs> we will see uh, how today goes. So let's let's then dive in. Supergroups, I mean, we know what these are. These are groups where everyone in the in the group has been in a band, usually a successful band or uh, is sometimes a solo artist, but usually you know, a member of a band. And they, have all met each other on tour or doing uh, interviews, whatever, in the scene. And they decide that it's about time that they all got together and started a new little project or a new big project, a new super project. Um, Some examples include, of course, um, Cream, right? We all, well, (laughs) some of us may know Cream. They were a pretty big deal back in the '60s, right, Mason? Is that right? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was like 1966 or something. That seems right. So that's you know Eric Clapton, who was in the Yardbirds, Jack Bruce, who was in you know some other bands, Ginger Baker, who's the uh, a drummer who was in a number of bands. Uh, that was a. That was a immediate kind of high watermark for supergroups. Then, of course, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, uh, kind of Led Zeppelin, weirdly enough, because Jimmy Page was in the Yardbirds, etc., etc., etc. There's there's no need to list every single one here, but examples have been given, terms have been defined. Mason, what to you is is interesting, whether musically or culturally or just personally? about the concept of a supergroup. Well, you know, I guess in an effort to not to oversimplify it, but I guess just to sort of organize a little bit, in my mind you kind of have two different types of supergroups. So, on the one hand, you have uh, examples where like Cream is a good example where you have artists who are no longer um, satisfied with their current band or solo project or whatever that decide that they want to uh you know team up with other well-known artists to form sort of their uh more primary next step or band um and then on the other hand i guess the other type of super group if you will uh is more born out of a side project or just sort of another creative outlet to maybe explore other types of music that's a little bit different than what they've primarily focused on in the past. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the angle I like to look at it uh, when we think about, you know, the good, the bad, 
um, you know, where it works, where it didn't. Uh, and, and, and you can really kind of, like I said, you can kind of see that across different genres as well. Okay. Well, that's, uh, very well put. Um, I think that's, that is an interesting way of looking at it because I think, well, the thing with supergroups is that I don't know if the idea of them really gets much, um, discussion really in the, in the, you know, the mainstream media or the popular uh, consciousness. But I don't think that uh, people really see supergroups necessarily as anything other than often like just some egos, right? Some some rock star egos um, getting bored and, and trying something else. And I think that is probably often true. Uh, but you know there are there are many examples I think that that where it makes more sense perhaps that they'd start a group uh, supergroup because there are a lot of artists uh, who although you know maybe they play in a particular band with and, and focus on a particular genre right maybe they want to do something else maybe it's more experimental maybe it's just a little weirder maybe it's just a totally different genre than what they're used to and the great thing about a supergroup is that it really is sort of too big to fail you know what i mean yeah it's it's be, you know these all of these artists for the most part have established fan bases and established sales and and uh are well known enough to the point where they can be like hey i'm starting a new group i mean what was it uh kanye and and kid cuddy kid see ghost just like well if you're a fan of either of them i mean th- there's your built-in fan base right there the work has already been done and so with that sort of blank check to just make something new why not Mm -hmm. you know that's that sounds like a a viable artistic option uh at at some point in your career well you know i one of you know one of the interesting things i think too uh is i think you were kind of getting at as well is is it's a really just the label supergroup is kind of funny because you know it's kind of also a way as almost like a marketing tool you know for these established musicians who want to you know sell their albums with you know under a different name essentially you know if they call themselves a super group or if the media does uh you know they they you know they they tend to i guess tap into that built-in audience that each of those musicians already have yeah yeah i think the marketing aspect of of a super group at least in the early days completely hinges on that right mm-hmm. but it's sort of interesting i think to consider like what the goal of a supergroup is because for a lot of them i mean it really does feel like they're uh, just some fun knock around band it's a side project for everybody and uh they're just having a good time making maybe weirder music than normal uh but then you have bands like well I mentioned the the Foo Fighters for a reason, right? They uh, are a group that I don't think people really think of as a super group, right? But you've got Dave Grohl from Nirvana. You've got Taylor Hawkins, who used to drum for uh, Alanis Morissette. You've got uh, a guy from Sunny Day Real Estate, a guy from The Wallflowers. And they tour with people as well who are from um, a number of different bands. 
But then you think about the Foo Fighters and like, that is not really by any means a legacy project or a uh, just fun time with friends. That feels, I think, in the public imagination like a real band uh, making real music, real art, winning awards, having an, an actual fan base that's not just people who used to like Nirvana. And so that, I mean, for me, it feels like that for a supergroup is probably the dream if they're serious about it, to just be another another good band. Or, I guess, if you're busy, if you're actually focused on your other projects, maybe just to get like uh, a one-off, just to do one release, one record, one single even, and uh, have it do well and be validated in that way. Right, and and I think, you know, one of the interesting things, you know, with the super groups who are sort of those one-offs, um, a great example, I think, of one that ha- did have success you know, is, you know, Temple of the Dog, um, which was, you know, you know, a super group comprised of, of the members of Soundgarden uh, and Pearl Jam, you know, Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell, both uh, contributing on vocals, uh, you know, coming out with Hunger Strike, which was one of the, for me, one of the better, I guess, melodic uh, grunge songs um, of that era. And they really only had the one album. And so I think that they, there are examples too on the on the flip side where you can find uh, some of these one-offs that end up being really, uh, really impactful. I don't mind stealing bread from the miles of decadence. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point too because, again, the, you know, it, often I think there's not a lot of Mm, I say critical thought in the in the sense that you know the music critics are really giving them a lot of consideration. There's not too much of that often with these too big to fail groups, um, because if you look at it as a vanity project, which I you know I don't think we usually should, but there, what what else is there to say about these rich already famous guys and gals getting together? And and trying something different or you know, maybe weird like that's that feels like something that maybe is just for them right like mm-hmm. they felt like pl- playing the drums in the electronica band go with God have fun right but it is true that a number of these groups actually do end up becoming uh, legitimized, I guess, or or somehow greater than the sum of their parts, which I feel like is great. Um, but what's interesting, I guess, to me is how uninteresting it can sort of be as a concept uh, because we already all know. Like, Mason, I'll, I'll throw the ball to you here. Do you see any sort of um, underlying... I don't know, socio-political or, or cultural reason for these bands, or or are they just having fun because they can? I, re- I really don't, man. I, I, I share your, your thought on it. I, I think it's really um, more of a uh, 
you know, just a fun concept throughout music. It's not, there's no real bigger message here other than, you know, this is a, this is sort of a fun topic to, to dig into. Um, I think that there are just a lot of interesting examples of when supergroups really work and really, when they really don't. Uh, and, you know, like you said, I mean, there's no real socio uh, cultural impact um, that's bigger than that, or, or, you know, bigger than, uh musicians finding newer outlets to maybe uh you know move over into different genres or types of music that they don't typically do with their primary focus or for primary band yeah that that does seem true um i mean yeah it, it it's it seems like a shallow topic to dig into in the sense of looking for great deeper meaning here but like you said I mean, it's just, it's fun. So, you know what? Let's have some fun here. You, you mentioned that there are bands that you think work and that you think don't work. So let's just, why don't you just with a tightrope and no safety net underneath you here, Mason, what are some bands, some supergroups that you think work? Well, I, I guess one of the... Um one of the examples of a more modern supergroup that I think really work um, is Monsters of Folk. Uh, now, Monsters of Folk is uh, a supergroup um, consisting of Jim James from My Morning Jacket, uh, you know, Connor Oberst and Mike Mogus from Bright Eyes, uh, Will Johnson and M. Ward. Uh, you know, they came out with a couple of albums back in 2004 and they uh, had hu huge success. You know, I think, um, especially in the independent album category, I, I uh, am a personal really big fan of all of those guys and they made an album that really, really worked. You know, they were able to showcase um several of their voices uh doing lead vocals kind of taking turns jim james connor oberst it was um i think one of the um better uh like i said i guess more modern uh examples of a super group really uh coming together you know that's i like that uh for a couple reasons because a uh you know um i think the indie scene let's just say because that i mean those are those are popular groups but still you know could probably be categorized under the indie umbrella like that's something that i think is it's a little just a little further afield for a lot of people obviously it's not mainstream mainstream and i think i mean i would agree with you because i have i've listened to them and like you i mean i like all of those people and and their bands individually but i think they are actually a great example of uh, i don't know about like of just artistry maybe and i i don't want to give them too many compliments but it seems like sort of the best possible um way to do a supergroup when you you meet people who are um, already established and you all have a similar artistic idea and maybe you just want to work with these people you want to play with these people right like that that's pretty pure to me and feels nice you know it just it's and it's nice to to have that come uh 
to the point where they're releasing a good product, good, you know, good tunes. Exactly. And if I could just amend a little bit what I was saying about, uh, you know, supergroups not really having any bigger message, I, I, you know, somewhat take that back because I think there's a really good example of, um, of it, of there being actual, um, message or impact with the uh, supergroup Boy Genius. Oh, okay. So, so stay with me here, Matt. <laughs> so Boy Genius, which is um, a group of three uh, wonderful lady musicians, Julianne Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and, Lu- and Lucy Dacus, um, they formed the band in part because well, they, they toured together, became friends, but they were all shared a frustration of being compared to one another and kind of that like, oh, these are just women in rock. And so that, therefore they are competitors. And they all uh, really disagreed with that sentiment. And that was sort of part of the reason that they, they started making music together. They admired one another's music, but also to sort of reject the idea that you know just because they're contemporaries they have to be uh you know they have to be competitors and you know just because they're women in rock you know they're being compared to one another when actually their their uh sounds uh vary quite a bit i mean when you look at all three um so i think that is a really good example of of a supergroup that's come together that's sort of rejecting what the industry or media sort of pushing on them huh okay you know what mason that is something i did not know about and i had not considered uh but yeah that's that is actually i mean not that music needs to have a message but that's music with some sort of message um and definitely like that does uh you know matter culturally because uh having the the being incentivized i guess uh through critiques like that um, is I guess as good a reason as any if not better to, to start a supergroup and with the, with with boy genius in particular like I think maybe to um, to work backwards like I knew about all three of these artists sort of right I you know I read pitchfork I look at spin.com every now and then and I, I see that people are talking and I didn't really listen to any of them and then I did I listened to the boy genius EP which is great and from there like I did work backwards and I now am a big fan of all three of those artists individually as well as boy genius so that's that's sort of a fun way as well I think to you know uh, get your individual project uh, into into more ears too because you know i didn't i didn't know really what boy genius was all about and now i know what they're about and i also know uh what each of those three ladies is also about which i think is great yeah yeah and you know it's i think it's really funny um just this article i was reading about you know, their name, Boy Genius, um, and kind of where it came from. And it's really meant to sort of make fun of all the the men uh, who've been just told that they're a genius, 
you know, everything they say is genius and it's sort of just a poke at all of them. And I even saw that Phoebe Bridgers said um, that after they, uh, you know, formed the band that there were men in the industry that attempted to take credit for the idea of them collaborating, which makes it even more hilarious. And, um, you know, makes the, makes the uh, message of that sort of, uh, you know, forming of the supergroup even that much uh, more significant. Huh, wow, that's, uh, that's fascinating. I, I love when a guest, Mason, when a guest brings to my attention something that I was not aware of, because as you know, um, I am a scholar of all things music, but I miss some stuff, and that's that's fascinating. And I think too, like, gives, uh, like like you mentioned, I mean, gives a lot more meaning um, and impact to just that project in and of itself, notwithstanding the fact that the the songs are great. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned, um, you know, that Boy Genius EP, which you know it's only six songs, but uh, I. Um, absolutely loved it um like you i, I think i I'd, I'd really known or been familiar with phoebe and with julianne baker uh i'd listened to a couple of songs nothing major but i i like you you know once i listened to that ep worked backwards as well and became a fan of all three of them and i would definitely recommend the ear buddies army take a listen Wow, look at this. You're here having read articles and recommending artists. This is phenomenal, Mason. You are you are the best guest co-host that has ever been on Ear Buddies. What an honor, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> now, let's – I don't want to – be cruel for the sake of being cruel here. But you also mentioned some supergroups that don't work. Are there any that spring to mind immediately, or are you just maybe not a fan of, uh, you know, Angels and Airwaves? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that's that's a good point, too. I, I think for me personally, you know, it's, it's really subjective on my part. You know, the first one that comes to mind is uh you know sammy hagar's chicken foot um <laughs> which you know i when i heard about i sort of snickered just because of the name and have never uh been a fan of of any of the music that they've made you know that was um you know the uh, couple of guys from van halen and uh red hot chili peppers coming together for a few years and, and that that band uh has never really done it for me I fully agree with you. I think that it's difficult. It's just, it's a tall order to put anyone from the Red Hot Chili Peppers with anyone from Van Halen, you know, and, and make that really work. Um, and that's coming from a guy who is not really a, a big fan of either group. But that just, it's, it feels to me... Like, I don't know, just like, well, like dumb rock, sort of, you know? I mean, it's not capital dumb, capital rock, but it's just, what is what is the point here? Like, what are you guys doing that's going to add anything to the world, sort of? Yeah, I, I mean, their name and logo is just like the peace symbol, 
you know <laughs> it's just that's what that's what they were going for when they called it chicken foot it's because the peace symbol looks like a chicken's foot so i mean that's the yeah that's the sort of of thought that it seems like maybe they're putting into uh what they're doing but you know i'm sure for a lot of people now i'm sure for a lot of fans the peace symbol no longer means peace and it just sort of means chicken foot (laughs) they've ruined the peace symbol single-handedly there is there's a section of you know ed hardy wearing uh bedazzled jeans listeners to dumb rock that don't they don't even know what the peace symbol is anymore they just yeah they they see people in you know they see those that old footage of vietnam war protesters and they're like this is a army of chicken foot fans this is unbelievable yeah when was this how did i miss this concert (laughs) now my final question mason um is because we're talking about supergroups and and thinking about them and I guess maybe the impact they can have. Is there, you know, is there one that you wish would come together that just hasn't materialized yet? Are you like me and like so many others, I imagine, hoping that uh, Olivia and Taylor and Haley from Paramore and Alanis for a sec can maybe put aside whatever differences they have and come together to start some sort of crust punk riot girl thrash core type uh project you know i i i not particularly but i am a really big fan of uh you know two artists from two or more artists from uh, different genres coming together and do a little bit of genre bending type of thing, like, you know, Broken Bells, for instance. Oh, uh, yes. You know, that type of thing I really uh, enjoy quite a bit. Um, and and so more of that. I mean, no one in particular, but I, I really enjoy um, when, you know, they really step outside of their comfort zone and kind of mix and match and complement one another. Um, it can result in some really, really interesting and creative music. Well, that's a thoughtful and considered answer, and mine was just a joke again. <laughs> um, so you're you're just really playing the the Tim role. Not that you, I don't want to act like you're trying to fill his shoes because you obviously bring something new and thrilling to the table, and Tim could never. Uh, but I'm glad that you've clearly listened to enough earbuddies apps to sort of know what I'm supposed to do and then know what perhaps you are supposed to do. <laughs> well, and, and and just, you know, for the army, you know, for those that are not uh, familiar with Broken Bells, um, it's it's really uh, James Burton, James Mercer from The Shins and uh, Brian Burton who uh, did some work with Narls Barkley. So. Oh, yeah. Narls Barkley. Another super group, some might say. Fabulous, fabulous recommendation. So Mason, once again, thank you for uh, your time here. And you know, just for fun, since you are not just a guest, but a guest co-host, why don't you stick around 
and we'll read this this ad copy together, and then we'll send you on your way. How does that sound? That sounds wonderful, Matt. Amazing. Okay, so uh, as always, ear buddies, we'll be back in just a moment. This episode of Ear Buddies is brought to you by HQ Trivia. Wow! Remember HQ Trivia, Mason? I sure do, Matt. It was the time of our lives. It's 7 p.m., or maybe it's 6 p.m., and you got to get your phone, and you got to stop what you're doing, because guess what is on your phone right now? It's HQ Trivia. It's Scott Rogowski, and he is this guy who lives in your phone, and twice a day, he tries to give you some money if you win uh, this game. It was the dying breath of monoculture. I mean, many things will pop up, and they will capture our attention for the briefest of moments and then they'll flame out like um like silly bands or like um well like wordle it's gonna happen folks it can't stick around forever or like super groups <laughs> or a lot like super groups uh and this hq trivia well it was really something uh, that back in, what, 2017? Does that sound right? That that does, yes. Yeah, we were all trying our best to win some amount of money from Scott Rogowski, uh, who, again, was that guy. I, it, I'm trying to jog everyone's memories here. I'm sure we all know about HQ Trivia, right? Uh, so, yeah, Mace, uh, that they are sponsoring today... Um, they were just, I guess, th they saw the stuff with, like, Wordle being sold to the New York Times, and they, I think, are trying to fill a void that they see coming. So what they want to do is get back on your phones and, and, and capture your attention once again. Um, Mason, are you, are you excited? I am, Matt. I used to set my alarm daily to log on to Trivia Cat <laughs> HQ Trivia and uh, try to win that $100 prize. <laughs> right. Yeah, Trivia Crack was uh, a different platform. Uh, not quite as much fun because, of course, you couldn't win that $100 prize or whatever it was because HQ Trivia was live. Right? Every every day at a predetermined time, you would get on, you would compete against, I guess, tens of thousands of other bright young things across the nation or maybe the planet. The questions would get increasingly more difficult. Uh, there was some sort of time limit, right? Yes. Yeah. I think you had 10 seconds uh, to get the answer right. If you win, you advance. And uh, was it a last man standing type of thing? I think so. And then there were often like a, a few last men standing and they'd split the prize, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know about you. I never won, but um, 
I'm sort of I'm sort of glad in in looking at uh, sort of the the controversies that it's had that I never win because there was this one guy, this poker player who won like a twenty thousand dollar prize, and I guess didn't get paid for quite a while, and you know that's just sort of what is contributing to the the downfall of HQ Trivia because even though they're trying to come back, they've branched out to so many different things. Like, you know, what is it? After Dark. I don't know if you even know this, Mason. This is stuff I learned doing my research. They, they had After Dark. They had sports. They had, like, tunes. They had uh, words, uh, which was like a word puzzle thing. And they clearly were trying to capitalize so much on what they were uh, on their brand, I suppose, uh, that I, I think they spread themselves a little too thin. And I think, I think that's why we're not really talking about HQ trivia as much as they'd like us to. And that's right. And, and they've also uh, paid for us to mention that they've beefed up their servers because uh, if you all remember, as soon as they upped the ante on their prize to $15,000, so many people logged in that the servers crashed and it was a huge failure. <laughs> but they're here to tell you that that is no longer going to happen. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I think they just got so big, you know, and they, they were so well-received that they just I don't know if they had the manpower to to scale, you know? Mm-hmm. Because if you're if twice a day you're offering a bunch of kids, let's just call us what we were, huh? Kids, a bunch of money, um, they're gonna come they're gonna come running. You know they're gonna come running. And you're right, I mean, I remember that that terrible server crash, and we all thought we were going to get rich, but instead we weren't able to play our favorite game. And, and Scott Rogowski is just one guy, you know. I mean, he can't do everything. He can't. He can't be, you know, pushing data from this server to that while he's standing in front of that camera. I mean, you know, he he can't be expected to do it all. No. So we have to. It's time we forgive Scott and get back to what we love doing, which is playing trivia for a small prize. <laughs> That's Look, Mason, thank you for bringing us to the real point, which is, Scott, it's not his fault that things went down the way they did. He is just one guy. And he's not really even a, a tech guy. You know, he's not really a, a computer guy. What he is is a host, Right? Uh, and, a, and a dang good one. And a, a, a talented and decent-looking host. He, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about you, Mason, but I don't know if I would have uh, spent 10 minutes twice a day for a few weeks or months of my life back in the day to listen to a less charismatic host, right? It had to be Scott. He, he is just non-threatening enough for me to keep logging on. That's right. Like, as a man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> he's, he's, he's just, you know, vanilla, sort of generic enough for me to not be threatened 
as as a man. Right. There you go. And yet, yet, that does not make it his fault that HQ trivia fell apart at the seams. Like, he is just one guy, and he was the face of this massive trend. And so when we got mad at HQ trivia for doing a bad job, really, we were getting mad at Scott, who... For all I know, Mason has not ever committed any sort of crime uh, against anybody and should not be treated like he is being treated and should not be cast out of these social circles in uh, Manhattan and in Beverly Hills simply because the servers crashed and then everyone didn't want to play HQ trivia anymore. Yes, that's right. And, you know, this this ad actually was paid for by Scott personally. Uh, it actually has nothing to do with the app. He's just really sad and lonely, and he wants back in your lives. All cards on the table. You're right, Mason. This has nothing to do with HQ trivia per se. What it has to do with is Scott is uh, back on the market. Um. And he would like to be back in your phone. He would like to do something where you see him twice a day, every day, and, and he gets to talk to you. And you, you can build that relationship again. Because he only got, like, what, one New York, New York Times piece written on him? And that was it? That's, that's not good enough. Scott needs more from us. Think about, Mason, I mean, think about what Scott gave us. That's right. We, get, we we are going to give him nothing back. We just drop him like a like an old shoe. I just don't think that's fair. And on a, on an unrelated note, um, Scott will actually pay you five dollars to uh, hire him on Cameo. So look him up on Cameo so he can talk to someone in the phone once again. Is that true? <laughs> of, course, of course it is. It's right here in the ad copy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Look. So do that, get Scott, but for we who had the opportunity so many times as a nation to come together multiple times a day for quite a while and hang out on our phones together with Scott there as as our fearless leader, I feel like that cameo is less than our best, you know? To just have him be wishing our sister a happy engagement or something, uh, I truly believe that we can do better. So let's let's not forget about Scott. Mason, take us home. HQ trivia. And Scott Rogowski. <laughs> and Scott Rogowski. <laughs> Welcome back to Ear Buddies. Wasn't that just a delight, folks? Don't we love Mason? Don't we love having him as a guest host? Knowledgeable, charming, funny, and handsome as all hell. Take my word for it. Uh, well, look, that could be you. That could be you. I want to take this opportunity, this, this time where Tim and I will often do some lighthearted shenanigans and bits. Uh, I want to take this time to 
reach out to you personally as members, ranking members of the Ear Buddies Army to consider coming on this podcast, your favorite podcast. This feels crazy, right? Like what a what an opportunity to be given uh, the chance to go on your favorite podcast and talk about your favorite topic. Um, because as we just heard with Mason, this guy, he knows about supergroups and hey, that's what he wanted to talk about. And I and Tim said, heck, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about what you want to talk about because the fans decide, right? The fans decide. And so truly, this is a sincere um, appeal. If any of you out there would like to come on as a guest and feel that you have the credentials, please reach out to us. Let us know. Just drop us a line. Say, I am very interested in uh, the music of 19th century Scotland, and I'd love to talk about it. And we'll probably say, come on, let's do it, right? We, we, we're a very, a very universal pod. We're very Catholic in our taste, lowercase c. Um, because I think that uh, the reason we all love Ear Buddies so much is because of that, that wide open, uh, that, that big umbrella, these all-encompassing arms, the embrace, right? Like that's what, that's what the, the love and the community <laughs> comes from. <laughs> so, please, um, we'd love to have you on. Again, it is, I mean, I will say it is important that you do feel prepared to do this, um, credentialed, as it were. You don't have to even be a real musician, but you can be a music fan and, and have opinions or ideas or passions related to music that you would like to talk about. This is a real request. Um, well, not a request. We don't need you, but we would we would like to chat with everybody. We really would. And as of now, um, so few of you have have heeded our last appeal, where we kind of asked a bunch of people, a bunch of you, to come out of the woodwork and show yourselves as members of the army. Uh, I mean, that's fine. I guess your life is your life, and you don't have to necessarily hit us up and start these relationships if you don't want to but we would love to talk to you and i guess that's sort of all i've got um we've got some exciting things in the works for the coming weeks tim will be returning and we will be chatting about well i mean interesting stuff isn't it always that's all okay um that's it for me if you see mason on the street give him a pat on the back and like the 2006 song by Christian metal band P.O.D., goodbye for now. <laughs> <laughs>